The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Welcome to the Inn, to the Summer Inn, that is. My name is Chris. And you probably, most of you probably know that. But in case you didn't, my name is Chris. Um, it's good to see all you here. Thanks for coming out tonight. Um, it's good to see some of the deputies returning home. and uh, It's an exciting time for them getting back, I'm sure. So it's good to see you guys. Um, if you guys are, I'm sure you guys have been here enough to know, uh, I work here. And <laughs> I'm going to be the new student leadership coordinator here. Uh, but last year... I was an intern, and if you were at the inn at all last year, you probably saw me around. But now I have a new role. Uh, I'm the student leadership coordinator here, and that was, if you were here at all last year, you met a guy named Mike, probably. Uh, that's now my job. So <laughs> in case you were wondering, that's what I do here at the inn. And uh, I'm here to talk to you guys tonight. So before we get into it, though, let me introduce myself a little bit. Um, my life right now is pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Uh, like I said, I just... Uh, <laughs> I just started this job like two weeks ago on August 1st, so I'm officially uh, working here as a student leadership coordinator now. Uh, but more importantly than that, uh, I'm getting married in two and a half weeks. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, uh, it's pretty sweet. I'm really excited. Um, my fiance, Catherine's up here in the front row. She probably hates the fact that I'm pointing her out. But I'm going to talk about her a little bit tonight, so she'll just have to get used to it, I'm sure. Um, yeah, we're getting married in like two and a half weeks, and on top of that, today we found out we got the apartment we wanted. Uh, like, all this cool stuff's been happening, and it's kind of overwhelming, but in a really good way. Um, it's like, it's surreal. I, it doesn't feel like what I, everything is happening is actually happening. Like, you know, like, you think, oh yeah, one day I'll get married. Well, I'm getting married in like two and a half weeks, so it's kind of like, okay. It's, that day's finally here. Uh, and one day I'll have a, like a real grown-up job, and I now have that. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's just kind of crazy. And I feel really, really blessed to, to have the opportunities that I've had. And, um, it's just kind of, I don't know what else to say other than like, it's just exciting. And, um, honestly, I, I can't, I still can't believe she's gonna, Catherine's gonna hate this, but I still can't really believe that she's agreed to marry me. Um, <laughs> I, and it's, it's, I'll, let me explain it a little bit. Um, you all know those couples where, like, you see them, like, you see pictures of them, where you see, like, you see them out in public, and there's, like, one that's clearly, like, a better catch than the other one? <laughs> where, like, you just kind of go, like, what? Like, how did that happen in this universe? Like, and I just think, like, I'm clearly the one marrying up in this situation. And I don't know if you guys see it, but I definitely do. And, I don't know. I think, okay, before, like, Catherine is really good about this. Like, I've told her this. I've told her, like, I, I think people see us together and they just go, like, are you kidding me? Like, what is she doing with him? And, I mean, <laughs> but she, she's, she's really nice and she assures me that, no, 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 like, if, if you were single, girls would like you. Like, it's totally cool. And I'm like, you know what? On a certain extent, I kind of believe that. Um, and, and I don't want to sound arrogant. <laughs> I don't want to sound super arrogant. But I think, like, Character-wise, I possess a lot of qualities that, like, girls like. Uh, I'm a nice guy. That's not being cocky. I'm just, I'm just saying I'm confident in that. Like, I'm a nice guy. Like, I think I'm a pretty good guy. Uh, and I don't think, like, I don't think that's being arrogant. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to own that. Um, so I think, like, 
my my vision of 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 my you know my insecurity of why she's why she's okay with me is not necessarily like a character issue. It's definitely like a looks issue. Uh, <laughs> like you look up here at me and you're like, this guy is just like a big like hairy goon, and and you look at her and you're like, okay, like I mean, say what you will. I mean, I think she's gorgeous, so she's probably embarrassed by that. But it's like obviously one of us is better looking, and I know I'm not trying to get sympathy here. So before. You all go raving about how good-looking I am. Uh, I want to just explain why I have this, this image of myself the way I do. Uh, I think it goes back to, like, basically all of my childhood. Uh, from pretty much second grade on, I was pretty big-boned. I was, <laughs> I was fat. <laughs> I was a pretty big guy. Uh, like, my eighth grade year, I was 200 pounds. My tenth grade year, I remember, was the biggest I ever got. was 270. And I was, I don't know, like, I was just kind of a stockier guy, and... If you've ever been there, and if you probably, probably, I don't know, maybe you have, you may haven't, but you know, you know what it's like when, you know, you have all these guys around you, like, I was friends with a lot of athletes, so, like, I was kind of like the fat kid of the group, and, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, I'm just going to try and explain it, but, like, I liked a lot of girls in the sense of, like, I wanted, like, I had crushes and stuff, but those girls, like, they liked me, but they didn't like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like they, they thought I was really nice, and they thought I was, like, this really sweet guy and everything, but they never, they never like, wanted to date me or anything. Like, of course, I wanted to date them, but because of the reality that I guess, I don't know, I wasn't as good-looking as some of the people around me. Like, I ne- it never, it didn't work out like I'd always hoped. And uh, let me just break this down. Like, so... When you're, when you're like kind of, when you were who I was, when you're the fat kid <laughs> and you're trying to like get someone to like you, you have, you have a few options. You have to play to your strengths, right? <laughs> so when you are, when, for me, my, my options were I could either be, uh, really nice or I could be really funny. And I think maybe some of you think, well, like, what about like, you know, I thought, well, what about like smart? What about being smart? Did that matter at all? And I want to say, no, being smart did not matter. Uh, I, I did fairly well in school. I was, I'm not dumb. Like, I, I'm smart. Like, I went to UW, I went to college and everything. Like, I'm fairly well educated. And I guarantee you that made no difference in, in, in what, how this played out. So I think really what it comes down to is if you're not, if you don't have a six pack and you can't just like flex your abs and like get a girlfriend, you have to either be really funny or you have to be really smart. Not smart, really nice. Nice. Thank you. Um, and so, I was kind of naturally just like a nicer guy, like I'm kind of a softy, so I, I already could do that, and so I decided to like maybe, I don't know, like up my game a little bit or something and try to be funny. So I, uh, you know, like I would tell jokes and I like could be sarcastic without being a jerk, and like on top of that with all the nice stuff, like I smiled a lot, and I would talk to girls about all of their huge problems in high school, uh, and I would help them <laughs> tell these guys that they liked, that they liked them without being too vulnerable or anything like that. Like, I, I was kind of that guy that was, like, the good friend but never, like, the interest. And it, it was fine. Like, I guess, like, whatever. And when it came time for yearbooks signing and everything, I was always, like, the nicest guy in the world and such a great friend. And they always really appreciated everything. And it was, like, thanks. But it just, don't, don't, like, it didn't satisfy. Like, it was just, like, this sucks. And, and it really was. It just was, like, this sucks. Like, what, am, what can I do? I can't do anything. And... I knew I couldn't change the reality that, like, these girls just weren't interested, right? And, but the, the, the thing was, is I kept trying. Like, I kept, like, I would, I would keep after it. I was persistent. And not that that's bad or anything. But what happened was I, I would find myself, I would be trying so hard sometimes that, like, I would be trying so hard to be this person 
who I thought that they would like, that I forgot how important it would be for them to know who I really was if we ever, like, did start dating. Does that make sense? Like, I was trying so hard to, like, be this other person that if it had worked out, they wouldn't, it would have never actually worked because I wouldn't, they wouldn't have actually known who I was. Um, I got so caught up in doing what I thought I had to do that I, that I, that I forgot who, like, that, that who I was, like, the importance of, of being who I was diminished. Um, and, like, I, I just was so concerned about meeting their expectations that it didn't really, it didn't really cross my mind. It wasn't, I, I overlooked um, the importance of, like, them knowing and accepting who I really was. And I think any time you start to prioritize, like, meeting expectations over, uh, you know, being known and accepted in a relationship like I was doing, you're, you're kind of setting it up for failure. You're, you're in for trouble. And I think, I think we all know that, right? Like, you would, I think people can agree. I don't know. You nod your heads yes or no if you get what I'm trying to say. Um, we all know that the relationships that we, we maintain, the ones that we like, the ones that we pursue, are the ones in which we feel accepted for who we are and not for what we do, right? So I think we all get that. But what I want to ask, my question is, why do we think our relationship with God is different? Why do we think that when it comes to God, it's more important that we meet his expectations than it is for us to know that he accepts us? Why do we think that it's more important for us to, or that our value is, like, the way he values us is based more on us doing what he asks us to do than it is on just simply who he thinks we are? Why do we do that? Why is it that with most relationships, we, it's about being accepted for who we are, but with God, it's about, no, I, I, need to meet my expect, I need to meet his expectations first, and then, then I'll be accepted, and then I can, and then I can, and he'll start to work on who I am. Um, like, do we think he's, it's like, we think of him like a, like a business manager, like, as long as we're doing our job and, and profits are up and things are good, like, he's willing to sit down and talk with us about the family and have a cup of coffee and chit-chat, but as soon as we mess up, like, he's going to fire us, like, literally. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I think sometimes we, we get so concerned with making sure that we're meeting God's expectations or God's criteria like for, for what a good person, for like what a, what a saved person is, that we forget how much he cares about uh, like who we are and what's going on like inside of us. And that's the lie I want to talk about tonight. And the lie, that, that you, if you want to lie, like an official lie, this is it. The lie is this, that it's more important for me to live into what God says I should do than it is for me to live into who God says I am. That's more important for me to live into what he says I should do than it is for me to live into who he says I am. And the truth is this, God wants us to know who we are before he expects us to know what to do. And as we get into that, um, would you just pray with me real quick? Uh, God, thank you for these people in this room. Thank you for the inn. Um, I pray, God, that first and foremost, you would just uh, speak through me, that you would turn Chris down and and that you would be the one that's magnified here. I pray that as I try to work through some of this, God, that you would uh, correct, help me to, to, to not contradict myself or to say something that's confusing that these people might in this room might know what I'm trying to say and that your message would be heard by those who need to hear it. So intercede on my behalf, please, and uh, be with me tonight and be with these people as well. In your name I pray. Amen.
All right, so like most good uh, church sermons, we're going to look through some scripture real quick. Um, if you have a Bible, it's great. If you don't, you don't need one because I have the verses up here for you. It's Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 37 through 42. I'm just going to read this real quick, and then, and then we can start talking a little bit. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. All right, <clears throat> so it's kind of an intense scene, right? Like, Jesus is yelling at this guy, and it's like, whoa, hey, take it easy, Jesus. Like, this guy's, this guy, he didn't do anything, right? Um, and, and I read through this, and I don't know if you guys get the same thing, but here's, here's, what, I, here's what I pull out of here. Here's the two things that I take from, from that passage. Number one is that God cares a lot. God cares greatly about us knowing who we are made to be. Um, I'm not going to say that he, he cares more about us knowing who we are, to, who we were made to be than he does about us knowing what to do, but I really think it's, it's an equal relationship there. I think he wants us to know who we are before he expects us to know what to do, because I think once we start to understand who we are and who he, who we've been created to be, we'll understand what we're, what we were created to do better. Okay? Um, and two, uh, the second thing I pull from this verse is that Jesus' words suggest to me that when we get that backwards, when we start to prioritize the doing part more than the who part, we start to miss the big picture. And like this Pharisee, who does a lot of the right stuff, right? He, I mean, I, what, I, what I got from that was uh, that he, he gave to the poor. I think Jesus was saying, like, you give to the poor, but you don't, you know, it's not, you're not really giving of who you are. I think he, so I, I, get, I gather that he's charitable and that he tithes, and he tithes pretty accurately. Um, he does a lot of this right stuff, but I think what Jesus was understanding, what, what Jesus was saying to him was, you understand the second part of this process fairly well, um, but you totally skipped the first part. You, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you, you get the do part, but you miss, you miss the bigger picture. All right. And I think, so those are the two things. One, that God cares greatly about who we are. And two, that when we get it backwards, we miss the big picture. And I've looked over this verse a couple of times and over a couple of times. And what I pull from this, you know, that's not necessarily obvious at first, is that there, it, God's kind of like God's will or God's plan for us, uh, I can tell, has two parts. And I've been saying this several times now. That we will know who we are and we will know what to do. And that this is kind of, this is what, that God's will includes these both, both of these things. That we would know who we are and that we would know what to do. And I don't think that these two things are independent of each other. I don't think that you know one and then you figure out the other afterward. I think that one definitely has a cause and like there's a cause and effect relationship here. But I think that one clearly determines the other. And I think that as we get to know who we are, like I said, as we know, the more we know who we are, the better we're going to know what to do. As I was uh, preparing this talk, Becky sent me a link. I don't know if you guys went to, any of you went to Winter Retreat last year, but we had Greg Boyd come up and speak. And I was listening to this, this link of a talk he gave, not at Winter Retreat, but just at his own church. 
he says it like this. God has a will for who we are before he has a will for what we do. And I like the way that's, that he says that. Um, I think that kind of illustrates the once we get the who, we get, once we get the who, we get the do. That's kind of what his whole thing was. Um, so, okay, so we get it, right? Like, but now the question is, okay, if it's about who I am before what I do, who does God say I am? Well, if you were here last week, you heard Annika's talk. Her whole thing was about who God says we are. And I think I have some of this stuff up here. You can read through. I mean, it's all over the place, guys. God is, God is saying who we are and who he thinks, what he thinks about us throughout the entire Bible. It is not hard to figure out what God really thinks of us. Um, in fact, scripture, not in, in, in necessarily, I don't have the verse, but I can help you find it. We can work, find it together. But it, it talks about how God has actually decided to come and, and make his home with us. That God, the spirit of God lives within us. And um, I think that is a clear illustration. That is, that is, in my opinion, like the clearest example of God loving and accepting us is when he says, I don't just, I don't just care, like, I don't just accept you. I want to, like, live with you. I want to live into who you are with you. I want to I make my home in your spirit, and I want to live into who you are with you. And I think that's him saying, look, I really, really care that you know that I love you and that you know who you are, and that is a child of mine, and a redeemed, loved, cared for, all of these things that we had up here. So, Okay, so now we get it. Okay, it's important we know. We know who we are before what we do. Okay, but, like, why? What is the big deal? What is, how does this affect our lives? Um, I think it affects our lives in two ways, really. Um, and the first one is this. When we know who we are, who God says we are, we find a lot, we find a lot more hope in life. Um, and it works like this. So, you know, when I sin, personally, I, I'm really hard on myself. I am, like... I just get really down. I'm like, man, like I cannot believe I screwed up again. Like, there's no, there's no way that that God can ever, you know. It's like He's got to just be so frustrated with me. Like I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and I keep asking forgiveness over and over and over again, and it keeps happening. And I just get really down on myself because I'm like, He's got to be so frustrated with me. Like, <laughs> I cannot get this under control. And as I was l- working through this talk. I came to the point of, of going, okay, like, what am I, what am I doing here? Uh, I, know, I know that God loves me no matter what, right? Like, I've heard that. But why do I feel like I screw it up so many times that eventually he's, that this is not just, it's just not going to be true anymore? Um, I think what I've found about myself, and I don't know if you guys share in this, but is that I tend to prioritize doing what God tells me to do over, like, knowing who he says I am. I prioritize the doing over the knowing. And when I do that, I set myself up for a lot of disappointment because inevitably I'm going to fail. And I do fail a lot. And when my paradigm of God is that, okay, the first and foremost important thing is that I do what he tells me to do, when I fail to do that, it feels, it feels catastrophic. It feels like this failure is, is fatal in my relationship with God. If the most important thing in between me and God is that I do exactly what he tells me to do and I don't do it, what does that, what, what does that mean? Like, it's, it's got to be over, right? Like, it's got to be done. And I think when we, when we prioritize it like that, when we set up this paradigm, we, just, we set ourselves up for failure. And the failure feels huge. 
And it's a lot harder to keep coming back to it when we feel like that failure is going to be so, so catastrophic and so fatal. And it leads, for me, maybe you guys identify with this, when I feel like I fail over, over, over and over and over again, and it's so huge every time I do, it kind of leads me to like want to like just not even try anymore. I'm just kind of like, uh, you know, I'm just going to, you know, if you think of it like a game, like, ah, I'm just going to go sit on the sidelines. Like, I, I can't make a shot, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bow out for now. Or even worse, it gets me to a point sometimes where I'm just like I don't need, like I don't even want to be around it. Like I, I just I'm like paralyzed by like this this fear of failing. And I honestly like I don't know if this is theologically correct. You can check it with Janie and Ryan afterward, but I'm pretty sure that paral- like when we get paralyzed, that is that is one of the worst things that can happen. Because I think even if we fail, God can redeem anything that we do and anything that we do wrong. But if we don't do anything, if we're paralyzed by this fear of failure, then what is there, what is there to redeem? If we, just, if we get to a point where we don't even want to be a part of it anymore, and we just, we just sit down and we're, we quit, right? And that's, that's, that's what happens to me when I, when I think of my relationship with God in, in terms of, of the, the most important thing is, is doing what he tells me to do. But on the other side... On the flip side, when I prioritize knowing, when I prioritize the knowing who I am first, I find a lot more hope in that. I find, like we said up here, all of these things God says who we are. When I know that, when I believe that, when I start to internalize that, when I fail, it's a lot less of a big deal. <laughs> because I know that even if I fail, God can use it. God still loves me. Uh, it's it's kind of like, if you imagine, like it's like I'm trying to learn how to ride a bike. Like, if that doesn't work out the first time, like, it's okay. Like, you get back on the bike. It's not, it's not like you just blew up the whole world when you failed. Like, you can, there is another chance. And when you feel that love, when you know I am loved, and it doesn't matter if I fail, you have a lot more courage, a lot more whatever it takes to try again. And I think that is the hopeful thing about, about knowing who we are first before we know what to do. We can, we can rest in the knowledge that God can redeem anything. Um, so that's, like I said, we find a lot more hope when we, when, we, when we know who we are before we know what to do. And the second thing I think that happens, and the thing that I think that most people look for when, when in their relationship with God is when we know who we are, we'll have a better idea of what to do. Um, I think a lot of us, myself included, we spend a ton of time trying to figure out what, is, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Does God want me to take this job? Does God want me to, to pick this major? Does he want me to live in this apartment? Does he want me to go on this mission trip? Does he want me to give this money to here? Does he want me to, it's like, we just, we're constantly trying to figure out, like, God, what do I want, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And it's like, I get that. And I think he's trying to tell us, look, if, if you would spend time trying to figure out, like, who you are, and you would, and you would believe me when I tell you who you are, you would spend a lot less time worrying about what you're trying to do. And you would have a lot more confidence in your decisions. And I think especially for this time in life with college and, and post-college when there's so much transition, when you're, you know, like I said, when you're picking majors, when you're, when you're trying to figure out, like, what should I do with my summer? What should I, you know, like, should I date this person? Should I, should I marry this person? Like, <laughs> all this stuff. There's so many things that we're kind of going, like, okay, these are huge decisions. I could really use some help here. And I think when we know who we are, we can go into those decisions with a lot more confidence. And I, and I think this is where the, the fruit of the Spirit comes in to play real big. When, we, when, when God lives inside of us and we, we believe that, then the fruit of the Spirit 
will help us, will guide us in our decision-making. And I think that's huge for us. So, okay, we, we need to know who we are before we know what to do. And this is, you know, because it's going to help us find more hope and it's going to honestly give us, we'll, we'll know more of what to do once we know who we are. But how do we, how do we start to internalize this? How do we get there? Good question. Um, <laughs> I think there's two things. Um, one is I think we need to listen better. We need to listen to God when he, when he's trying to tell us who he thinks we are. Uh, if you've ever been, if you've ever known someone who, you know, you've had a friend who's just like, you love them, but, you know, when you're hanging out or something or like when, when you try to talk to them, like, they just don't listen to you when you're like talking to them. You can, you, you might know how frustrating that is. <laughs> like, I keep trying to say stuff to you, but you don't hear me. Or even a family member sometimes, like, sometimes it can feel like for me, like my parents, uh, like when I'm trying to tell them something, like they just don't, like they don't hear it or whatever, or, you know, friendships, whatever it is. Like how frustrating it is when, when we've told someone something several times and they just like, they keep asking us like, so where are you, where are you living again? Or like, well, what are you doing in the summer? Or where do you work? <laughs> like, told you that like five minutes ago. Um, and it just gets frustrating. I think what we need to do is we need to start listening to God and we need to really start trying to take it in as far as what, what he says about us. Um, and I think, how do we do that? We got to read. The, we got to read. We gotta, it's in the scriptures. And I wish I had a more glamorous, fun answer for you. But I think that is the simple truth, that the Bible is where God articulates his love to us and that where God articulates how he feels about us the clearest. And so I have a little challenge thing for you tonight. Um, it's Like I said, it's not very glamorous. It's kind of boring. But I just want you to read this. It's Luke chapter 15. And there's three parables in here that I think get at this idea of what God really thinks about us. Um, you've probably heard all of them. And if you haven't, then you're in for a treat. But I really think that if we read through this, with the mentality of going, okay, what, is, what does God really think about me? You're going to find an answer in here, and it's going to be a good one. <laughs> uh, there's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Um, these are all really th- three simple yet really powerful examples of God's love for us and what, it, what extent he would go to to find us. And I think the best thing you can do to figure, start figuring out who you are in God's eyes is to read through this. And, and write it down. Email me. I put my email at the bottom. I would love to hear your thoughts. If we can start to realize this, guys, it's going to be huge. And the second thing we can do, and this is important, so sorry, I, I shouldn't have handed this out yet, but uh, pay attention real quick. The second part, the second thing we can do to really start to internalize this is we need to stop gauging our relationship with God based on how we feel. I think way too often, and, I, and it happens to me too, it's easy to get caught up in thinking that, that, God, only, that God only loves us when, when you feel that love. Like, I'm, I'm, I feel loved, therefore I must be loved. Or I don't feel loved, therefore God not, must, must not love me. And it's all based on, like, what we, what we perceive at the moment. And it's, it's really, it's, we notice that, you know, okay, when I do something right, I feel closer to God. And when I do something wrong, when I sin, I feel further from God. And that, I mean, if you look at, like, in theory, like, sin is a separation from God. Right? So that makes sense. It's not like it's, we're wrong or anything. But what happens is we start to associate, okay, then I need to, if I want to feel close to God, if I want God to stay close to me, I need to keep doing the right thing. 
I need to keep making the right decisions in order for him to stay close. And if I don't, he's going to leave me. Right? And it's all based on how you feel at the moment. Guys, we, we have to get over that. We have to. Um, I'm not sure how exactly we get over, how we get over that, but I have, I have this idea. And it's this. Um, I think in order to, maybe, maybe in order to get over this, this feeling mentality of going like, I don't feel God, therefore he must not be here. It's going to take us, um, it's going to take a little practice at, at walking in the dark is the best way I can, I can put this. Um, think about like you're walking along, you're doing fine. All of a sudden you fall into this hole, right? And I'm totally stealing this example from a guy named Leonard Schlesinger. So in case there's any copyright violations, he knows. Um, so you're walking along and you fall into this really dark hole, right? And you can't see a thing and you know, you can't get out the way you came and you can't stay. Your only way to out is to move forward, right? So what do you have to do? You have to, you have to start moving, but you, you can't see anything. So how do you move? It's simply moving your feet, shuffling along, feeling as you go. Okay, there's good footing here. I can take another step. There's good footing here. I can take another step. And you learn how to walk in the dark a little bit. And guys, I don't think that this is going to be our entire life. I hope our relationship with God is not entirely for the rest of our lives to feel like we're walking in the dark. But if we can learn how to do this, if we can learn how to walk with God or walk towards God or however you want to say it, even when we feel like we, we have no idea where we're going, we have no idea where we are, we don't know what's ahead of us, we don't know if God's near, but we're willing to keep taking those steps, I think this is going to be huge in, in helping us realize, like, it's okay. I know I'll be okay. Like, God will show up when I need him to show up. And I think if we can learn how to do this, we're going to be, it's going to be incredible. If we can learn how to, if we can listen to God when he, when he tells us who we are, and if we can learn to walk, with, we can learn to, to trust that he will show up for us, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what we feel at the moment. I think, I mean, those are the two best things I can think of for how we, how we really start to believe that it's okay, God loves me, and even if I don't feel it, I know it's true. I think once we, once we know, once we believe in our core, these two things, no matter, no matter what, we, we, we can't mess up. I think in order for us to do what God wants us to do, as God would have us do it, we need to know how God sees us, and we need to know that he loves us no matter what. Um, we need to trust that he's telling the truth when we read the scripture, and we need to learn how to walk based not on our own understanding. It's about what we... It's about who we are, guys. It's not about what we do.